All right. Uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 to 13. Now, I'll tell you what, let's, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word today, if you're able. This is God's word for us, his people, today. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold witness of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray and ask for his help to understand it. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word and that you teach us and you speak to us as your people. And Father, we pray now that you would send your spirit to us, that you would give us understanding, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds. Speak words of truth, of comfort. Help us to know who we are. Help us to know who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Verse 1 in our passage begins with the Apostle Paul saying, for this reason. And whenever you see the phrase, for this reason in the Bible, you should immediately ask yourself, for what reason? And what Paul is referring to here is what he has just said earlier in his letter to the church in Ephesus. In particular, his words at the end of chapter 2. He has just told... The Ephesian church, he's just told the Ephesian Christians that Christ has torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, that he is building Jew and Gentile together into a dwelling for God. Together they are his church, and that this church bears witness to the grace and the goodness of God. And so in verse 1, Paul says, for this reason, and what he is doing is he is beginning a prayer. But Paul, 
gets a little distracted. He starts the prayer for this reason, and then he sort of says, oh, but I've got some other things I'd like to say first. So Paul's actually going to pick up the prayer next week in the section we look at, starting with verse 14. He comes back to, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. But as Paul gets distracted, what he does is he instead summarizes everything he has said so far in this letter. He begins a prayer and then realizes he wants one more time to share this amazing good news. One more time he wants to remind them of first things, of the gospel that is shaping them together as the church. And as Paul summarizes what has come so far in the letter, what we're going to see is this. Paul is an unlikely messenger proclaiming an unknown mystery about God's unbelievable plan accomplished through Christ's unsearchable riches. If you are looking for the tweetable thought from the sermon, uh, that's it. If you take away one thing, if you write down one thing, that's it. That's the sentence to remember. Paul is an unlikely messenger proclaiming an unknown mystery about God's unbelievable plan accomplished through Christ's unsearchable riches. And those of you scribbling furiously right now, this sentence will occur another 10 times through the sermon. Do not fear. Paul is an unlikely messenger. You see this uh, in verses 2 through 4. Paul notes here that he has a mandate from God, the stewardship of God's grace. Uh, he says. He was given a job, in other words, in the kingdom. Uh, and more than a job, he was given a message. And you see that in verses 3 and 4. He talks about this insight into the mystery of Christ that was given to him by revelation. And by revelation means this is something God has told him. This is not something he figured out for himself. This is not something he deduced. This is not something he came up with. This is a message from God given to Paul in order that Paul would proclaim it. In other words, Paul is telling us here, at least at the beginning of this section, that Paul is an apostle, not a genius. He is an apostle, he is a messenger, not a genius. More than that, Paul says, and he goes on at verse 8, to call himself the very least of the saints. The very least of the saints, which sounds a little bit like something Paul also says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where he calls himself the foremost of sinners. Why does Paul do this? Why does he refer to himself as the least of saints here, elsewhere, as the foremost of sinners? I think we get a sense in actually another place in the New Testament, another letter that Paul writes from prison, and that is Philippians. And in Philippians 3, verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6, Paul gives his resume to the church in Philippi. And he says, if any of you think you have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's what he says. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to zeal for the law, I was a Pharisee. I was persecuting the church. I was blameless according to the law for my righteousness. 
In those words, what Paul is saying, what Paul is communicating, is that Paul was a religious elite. Paul was the Sunday school superintendent of Sunday school superintendents. He was awesome according to the religious categories of the day. More than that, Paul was a nationalist, and he was even an ethnic supremacist. That's what it meant to be a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church. And you know, if you know Philippians chapter 3, Paul goes on to say all of that is worthless compared to what Christ has done for me. And in fact, that's what he's hinting at here when he calls himself the very least of all the saints. He's saying that God rescued him and redeemed him out of all of the things he could boast in. And then sent him to proclaim the promises of God to people that he despised religiously and culturally. That's what Paul is. He is a messenger to the Gentiles, a people despised religiously and culturally by the Jews of the day. I was trying to think of like an analogous thing that would happen that would help us realize the the dissonance of Paul, a persecutor of the church, a Pharisee, being sent as a missionary to the Gentiles. And this is the only thing I could come up with. This is a hypothetical example. This would be like a general in ISIS, someone who rails against the decadence of the West, persecutes the Christians in his midst. This would be if a general in ISIS was converted to Christ and then sent as a missionary to America to preach the gospel, the very culture and religion that he hates. This this is kind of what Paul is getting at here. Paul is an unlikely messenger of good news to the Gentiles. But Paul's message is an unknown mystery. Paul is an unlikely messenger proclaiming an unknown mystery. And he says that in verses 5 and 6. He says, this mystery of Christ was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. And then he gets to verse 6. And in verse 6, Paul tells us what this mystery is. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is, according to Paul, the mystery of Christ. And what he's saying there is the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, is the Gentiles are not only included in the people of God, they are equal in the people of God. They share the same inheritance as God's people from the Old Testament. They are part of the same body now as God's people from the Old Testament. They have all of the same promises. All of the promises that we see in the Old Testament are also for God's people, the church. In other words, what Paul is saying is in the church there's not an A team and a B team. There's not first-tier Christians and second-tier Christians. All of God's people are together dependent upon him for salvation because they all have the same problem, which is sin. 
Gentiles, which are the adopted children of God, receive the same inheritance as his natural children in Israel. God's enemies become God's family. Those who were far off have now been brought near. As we saw in our assurance of pardon this morning, once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. This mystery is new. It was unknown. It was revealed to Paul by God himself, and Paul has been sent to proclaim that message. Paul is an unlikely messenger proclaiming an unknown mystery. And that unknown mystery is also about God's unbelievable plan. Uh, Paul says this in verses 8 and 9. It says that uh, he was sent to preach uh, the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. And then in verse 9 he says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says, okay, so I'm sent to preach this mystery. I'm sent to preach it to the Gentiles, but I'm also sent to proclaim this mystery, to proclaim God's plan and God's wisdom to everyone, to bring it to light. And then he clarifies what that means in verse 10. And this is amazing. Listen to what he says. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So two questions. Who is he talking about? Who are these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? And then what is he talking about? How does the church do this? First of all, who? The who, these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, are the spiritual forces that are opposed to God and to his kingdom. These are Satan and his minions. Satan and those uh, evil and wicked spiritual forces who are opposed to God and his kingdom. These are evil powers. These are demonic powers. But what the Bible also tells us is that these evil and demonic spiritual forces are aligned with political forces on earth that oppose God's people and seek to claim their ultimate allegiance. So these wicked spiritual powers are aligned with these forces of empire in the world that seek to claim the ultimate allegiance of God's people and persecute them when they don't receive it. Uh, in the middle of the book of Revelation, uh, you know it's going to be wild when we're getting to Revelation. Here we go. In the middle of the book of Revelation, you have this amazing story in chapters 12 and 13 that starts with a pregnant woman standing on the moon and ends with a dragon uh, being cast out of heaven. Uh, it's mind-blowing. Uh, we're going to we're gonna look at uh, Revelation in like two years. So just if you've got questions, just hang on to them for two years. We'll, we'll get there. But the dragon is clearly meant to be an image of Satan, who is opposed to God, who is opposed to the people of God. He's seeking to devour the child of this woman, who is very obviously Christ. 
Uh, and what happens is he is frustrated in his plans to overcome God's redemption for his people. This is like the story of Revelation 12. And it says he is cast down to earth and he decides on earth instead to make war against the people of God. The offspring of the woman is the, the people of God. And then you get this amazing, bizarre image of these two beasts, one coming out of the sea and one emerging from the land. Have y'all read this before? We're like reading the same Bible, right? And like everyone's like, who's the beast? The beast are these forces of empire. The beast is this, this picture of like the Roman Empire that is seeking to claim the ultimate allegiance of God's people and making war on them when they don't give it to him. And so what Paul is saying here is that these spiritual forces, these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, this is Satan and his minions who are aligned with the political forces in the world that are opposed to God's people. And they're opposed to God's people either by persecuting them directly or by seeking to claim their allegiance in some way that detracts from their allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. So Paul says the church is meant to bear witness to the manifold wisdom of God to these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. All right, so that's the who. Here's the what. The what is that God has created all things. And God has not only created all things, he is now reconciling all things in Christ. We saw back in chapter 1, he is uniting all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. You see in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ is redeeming all things. All things are being redeemed by the blood of his cross. So Jesus, God created all things, and now in Christ is reconciling all things. And the church, the church exists to bear witness to the infinite wisdom and goodness of God to every opponent of God. Does that make sense? The church exists to bear witness to God's infinite wisdom and goodness to everyone and everything that is opposed to God. And we do this, Paul says, not by what the church says, although that certainly matters, but we do this by what the church is. By what the church is, we bear witness to God's redemption of all things. Because what Paul says over and over again in his letters, and especially in this letter to the Ephesian church, is that the church is a single body made up of all kinds of sinners reconciled in Christ. The church is made up of men, women, and children of every race, class, color, social, culture, and political background. The church is made up of all kinds of people. The dividing walls of hostility that we talked about last week have been broken down. And the church bears witness to God's redemption of all things as we are united together in worship of the one true God. One commentator puts it this way. He says, the church is to be, by the very fact of its existence, a warning to the powers that their time is up and an announcement to the world that there is a different way to be human. We are a warning to the powers that their time is up and an announcement to the world that there is a different way to be human. 
What does that look like? What does that mean for us this morning uh, in you know, Warrington, Virginia, in 2022? One of the things it means for us is that our life together is not optional. Our life together is not optional. Church is not a place we come to consume religious content and then go home encouraged. The church is a community of God's people where we gather together for life together, where what we have in common most truly is Jesus himself. That's why we come from all kinds of different backgrounds, different convictions. We have different ideas even about things that matter. But we are united in Christ. We are united in one body in Christ. And another thing this means for us is that as we live in a world that is polarized, as we live in a world that goes up and down with this 24-hour news cycle, part of what we are called to be to bear witness to the powers and to proclaim to the world that there is a new way of being human is we resist polarization. We resist fighting for power in the broader culture. We resist thinking that our politics are the truest things about us, and we resist the cycles of outrage and vengeance that so animate our culture. Friends, we are meant by the very fact of our existence to bear witness to a different way of being human. We are meant to bear witness to a truer kingdom, to a longer story than the ups and the downs of our news cycle. One of my seminary professors used to say to us, you are the plan, by which he did not mean seminary students because they needed no encouragement. By what he, he meant the church. The church is God's plan for the world. We are meant to bear witness to Christ by who we are by how we live together. The church is God's plan to make known the manifold wisdom that may now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Paul is an unlikely messenger, proclaiming an unknown mystery about God's unbelievable plan, and that plan is accomplished through Christ's unsearchable riches. That's where Paul ends this section. In verse 11, he says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has, uh, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you go back to verse 8, and he says, His plan was to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Friends, Jesus is the one who accomplishes God's plan. Jesus is the one in whom this mystery is realized. And this is even more beautiful than I think we realize. Because verse 12 tells us that God didn't just save us to make a point. We're not just here to make some point to the demonic forces or some point to the broader world. God saves us, verse 12 says, so that we can have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. In other words, God didn't just save us to make this point, but in Jesus, God is giving us himself. 
In Jesus, God is giving us himself. He is welcoming us into his presence. We have boldness and access with confidence because of what Christ has done. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way. He says, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access. Friends, God doesn't grumble when we come to him at 3 a.m. for a cup of water. When we need cooling refreshment for our souls in the nights where we just can't sleep because we are overwhelmed by what the world is doing. Friends, we have that kind of access to our Heavenly Father. He doesn't grumble, he welcomes. And he doesn't welcome, he delights in us. No matter what we bring, no matter when we bring it, and no matter how half-heartedly we bring our questions or our concerns. All of this is true in Christ. And we've talked about that phrase almost every week, and we're going to continue to do it. Because every time you see Paul say the words, in Christ, he is reminding us that everything that is true of Christ is true of us. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He has united us to Christ such that when God looks at us, he sees his beloved Son. And Paul tells us elsewhere in Romans chapter 8 that we are co-heirs as Gentiles, not only with the Jews, but with Christ himself. We have the same inheritance as the divine Son of God. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Jesus is God's yes to his people. Every promise answered. Every promise realized. Which means when we come to our God, we come as God's beloved children with whom he is well pleased. Friends, that's the thing that animates and undergirds and empowers this life together in the church. Every person in Christ is God's beloved child with whom he is well pleased, which means we have to learn to treat each other as God's beloved children with whom he is well pleased. That's the thing that helps overcome our differences. That's the thing that bridges these gaps and tears down the dividing wall of hostility. We are each in Christ, God's beloved children with whom he is well pleased. Paul is an unlikely messenger proclaiming an unknown mystery about God's unbelievable plan which is accomplished through Christ's unsearchable riches. And so as I close this morning, I'm going to leave you with a question. What does the world see and know of the wisdom of God through our life together here at Heritage? Reflect on that. Think about that. What does the world see and know of the wisdom of God through our life together here at Heritage. Would you pray with me?
Father, we come to you today grateful that you sent an unlikely messenger to proclaim an unknown mystery about your unbelievable plan accomplished in Christ's unsearchable riches. Father, we pray, knit us together as your people. Make us a picture of your reconciling and redeeming grace. Make us beautiful in the way we love one another. Father, let us bear witness to the powers and the authorities, but also to the world of what kind of God you are and what it means that your grace and your love are the truest things about us. Father, even now as we come to your table, we pray that you would be at work, that you would take this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup and use them for an extraordinary purpose to anchor us in what Christ has done for us. Make us pictures of your goodness. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.